Hello everyone, in today's episode I would like to talk about the big enormous question that has been in my mind for years, which I think may also be in your mind as well. Why did this experience of abuse happen again and again? It feels like we have a target on our backs, doesn't it? Given that this has been a very hard topic and it still is for me to understand, I talk with my very dear friend Courtney, whom I met at, at a survivor group, and she identifies as being a survivor of child sexual abuse and trauma. She was so impacted by the experience of connecting with other survivors and the impact of abuse on individuals and society that she became a social worker and started an organization centered on educating industries and systems on consent as an important part of everyday life. Her organization is called Cultivating Consent, and you can find the link on the show notes. Hopefully, she will be able to talk about it a little bit later in this episode. Courtney is also working in her doctorate, which focuses on trauma-informed care and education, working with survivors of trauma. And as you can imagine, she is extremely well-educated and knowledgeable about being a survivor of abuse at different times in one's life. Today, she is here representing herself as a survivor and will share her knowledge and insights on the topic with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, my name is Courtney and I use she, her pronouns. Um, I am a student at a university um, in Northern Virginia um, and I am a pet mom. I am someone that cares about my friends and family um, and a big part of my identity is being a survivor. A lot of my life has been driven by my experience of trauma um, and really wanting to understand myself but then also how to understand other people um, and so I was really excited when you asked me to talk about this. Well, it's an honor to have you here. I know that we have shared experiences and uh, we have talked to our other survivors in our support group and we know how difficult uh, it can be to talk about these terrible events that we have survived and that many of us have had them happen over and over again. I uh, know that you are pretty much an expert on this subject, so it is really exciting to have you here, and hopefully our conversation will help others. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I think the most important thing is that, you know, I've spent a lot of time learning about trauma, learning about how to help each other, um, but we are also all our own experts in terms of healing and what we need, and I think this community that we've connected upon um, is really important in that space of trying to figure out some of these hard questions. Yeah, yeah, I, I, community is such an important word, something, something so important that we have to keep in mind all the time. We are not alone. Finding people mm -hmm. that understand us, that can uh, share their experiences, that we can hear their experiences, somehow it makes us understand that, number one, we're not alone, and number two, we can survive and we can find some good level life and, and even happiness. So let me ask you, or let me, yes, let me ask you to explain to us why is it that we have uh, experienced this abuse 
more than once in our life and it keeps happening it feels just like a terrible thing every time that I have experienced this uh, I want to say you know uh, from my very early childhood <clears throat> then for a long period of time from a family member and then raped and then assaulted again this is four times that I can pinpoint right at different times different levels different actions but it feels like what is it that I'm doing mm -hmm. I mean sometimes you know we have people that will actually ask you that mm -hmm. what happened what do you do were you drinking what where were you why did you why did you do this why did you go along mm -hmm. it's like instead of helping us we're being blamed somehow and I've been there and, and, and have heard it so um it doesn't feel good mm -mm. it feels like I remember somebody in our group said is it something that they can smell of us, on us? Mm -hmm. It feels like some, some, something is happening. Why do we have, do, do we feel like a walking target for these horrible, horrible uh, people that will take advantage of us or will let their emotional imbalances make us a target? Yeah, it's all-encompassing. It's something that, you know, if you are someone that's experienced multiple forms of abuse, you start to ask yourself some questions and you start to internalize some of that blame and um, you start to worry about what that means about you and the world. Um, and so it is a really important question. I think a question that a lot of survivors ask and I think it's probably one of the harder questions to answer and one of the harder questions to come to terms with. Definitely. Um, but again, I mean, what do you think happens to us that makes us, makes us this target. Once we have experienced the first abuse in our life, somehow it happens again. What do you think it is that, mm -hmm. this, that attracts or let us fall into these traps of people? Yeah, harmful people. Um, I think that's a great question. It's a big question to answer, um, and I'm hoping I can bring in my personal experience of being a survivor who's experienced multiple forms of abuse over time, um, this repeat victimization or um, repeat trauma that we're talking about today. Um, but I also hope I can bring some of what I've learned in terms of my studies, in terms of my work with other people, um, because this is a really difficult question. And I think this is a question where we end up sort of blaming ourselves. We sort of end up um, really questioning a lot of who we are and what that means about us. Um, and I wanna really start with first and foremost, I think a lot of it has to do with public perception of abuse. Um, if you think about it, I've heard it explained like this. Um, it's this idea that, you know, um, someone has been struck by lightning. And if you've ever heard, you can't be struck by lightning twice. That's actually not true, but we think that in society. And people think the same thing about abuse. So they think, you know, I don't even want to think about abuse happening one time. So if I have to think of abuse happening multiple times, that's really uncomfortable to think about. Um, that's something that I cannot, and I say I, I mean society. I mean the public cannot wrap their head around. Um, we live in a society, like you said, that is very blaming. And so um, a society that doesn't stop to ask about like what was happening in someone's life that these things happened. So I think that's the first piece of it is that um, we have to kind of challenge why we judge ourselves for these experiences. And a lot of that comes from perception and the narrative and the things that we've heard from other people. Um, and so I'd like to almost like reframe this to say, I know we think about it and I felt this before where I feel like, you know, I'm walking around and people can see me 
and they know that I've experienced trauma and they know that I'm someone that can be harmed. Um, and that is a really terrible place to be. But I think about if you kind of reframe and think about, yeah, I've been someone who's experienced trauma and that's impact, impacted my life, um, impacted the way that I interact with others. And it's not that I am directing action towards me and towards um, like kind of putting myself out there in a particular way. But, you know, I think about a lot of the ways that we act are kind of related to our development. Um, a lot of us who've experienced child sexual abuse experience it when we're really young, um, but we experience it at all different ages. And if you think about it, our brains are developing, our minds are developing. Um, and so who we are and our coping mechanisms, how we engage with one another, all of those things start to kind of build into our personality, especially if you think about, you know, we haven't had time to establish and figure out what the world is like. And the abuse is telling us what the world is like. Right. And so if you're in that <clears throat> space, um, and then you think about how you might be presenting outwards, um, you might be presenting like that. You know, you might actually be a child who's presenting like you're looking for a figure of affirmation or attention. Right. You might present like a, a child who doesn't understand boundaries or who is looking for approval or etc. And I'm saying these things, they're not light things. They're experiences where it makes perfect sense why you would be acting that way. Um, and what happens is you have people who look for that. So I think I'd like to flip, flip the script a little bit. Sometimes we say like the X on our forehead that says, you know, I'm a victim, you can harm me. But I want to say we are really good at trying to survive. And abusers are really good at trying to figure out the coping skills that we use to survive so that they can gain access to us. And so it's really on perpetrators that they are the ones interpreting our behaviors, interpreting the way that people engage um, to create so abuse. Would you say then that um, the predators are the ones who are reading the signs that we put out, our behaviors? Are very evident to them and I'm thinking about this this these people how is it that they can figure it out mm -hmm. that they know it's um pretty incredible that uh, on one hand you you have people like you and me who are survivors and that would do anything to help others mm -hmm. right we're on the same boat there yeah uh, and then there are these people that are there to take advantage of our, mm -hmm. I, I, to call it something, I want to call it weakness, because as a child, you are acting, and I don't want to call it acting out either, but you're acting as a product of the abuse, right? So you're projecting something that is not you. Mm -hmm. I'd almost say, I, I appreciate that idea of weakness, but I'd almost reframe it that it's that vulnerability. Vulnerability, yeah. that is the real word. I yeah. need to get that. And it, you know, it feels like weakness because we think about our experiences and we look back in a way where we're like, oh, I just wish this didn't happen. And you know, right. why did it have to be like that? And so we really think about it as weakness. But when we think about children, they are vulnerable. Yes. When we think about children who have grown up in a way where they've been abused, they are vulnerable. They've developed techniques to survive because they had to. Mm -hmm. And those techniques are things that people can read. So I really want to um, even say that some of these techniques that I'm talking about, some of these survivors, survival skills, some of these coping mechanisms, they aren't even conscious. So they're things that happen within our brain in the way that we engage with the world around us. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one theory. I think there's some more that we could talk about. Um, but really one piece is to really flip the blame on, you know, exactly who are these people and why are they looking for people to harm? 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's that skill. It sounds, you know, terrible, but that skill to be able to read people. Mm-hmm. We do it as trauma survivors to stay safe. We and do. they do it to mm-hmm. harm others. Yeah, I, I, I read something just recently about how we survivors read people as well. We have that ability mm-hmm. because uh, the trauma, the abuse, this... Um, this very traumatic experiences coming from another human being make us look and find mechanisms without us even knowing that we are putting putting in practice certain things. We're children and we're already putting in practice protection mm-hmm. walls. We're doing what we need to do. When you were mentioning this, um, I was thinking about dissociation. That's one mechanism that I do remember from my experience. Mm-hmm. It was like, okay, I'm absent here. I'm, you know, I'm going to my world in my head. He's going to do whatever he wants yeah. to do. Yeah, and I think for people who don't really understand, dissociation is this space where you separate yourself from yourself. And it can be, um, it presents in a lot of different ways. Um, but it could be in the space where you are almost watching yourself and something is happening. It could be in the space where you feel foggy and where you feel like, I kind of don't know what's happening, but I do. Um, the example that, uh, you know, psychology classes likes to use is this idea of like you're driving somewhere and then all of a sudden you're there. And you're like, mm-hmm. how did I get here? Mm-hmm. You know, but for trauma survivors, some of us can have this experience where we do it quite frequently. Mm-hmm. And it's that space of keeping ourselves protected. But I want to stop there for a second and really honor the space of like, yeah, I think if we look back, it's probably really hard to look at those coping mechanisms and to know that we needed them. But wow, like we, our brains, our bodies, ourselves, we were so smart that we tried to save ourselves, that we tried to take care of ourselves. And, you know, I think that is the big piece because we can really lean into the space of like, I have an ex, I have a target. People know that I'm a victim and they're going to harm me. And of course that is valid if you feel that. But I think what is equally and more important is to really explore the ways in which you were a survivor. You know, we use this mm-hmm. term survivor. You protected yourself. And yeah. that's huge. That is huge. And you know what? As you're saying this, well, first of all, when you were talking before, it was like I could feel all that pain of little me. Mm-hmm. It was like, yeah, my, I remember that I was very young and I read The Little Prince. Mm-hmm. I read it in Spanish. And uh, that was my to-go place. Yeah. When, when I was being abused, I would just disappear into the moon. And it, it is really sad and it's really, um, it's really heartbreaking mm-hmm. that we have to find these mechanisms to keep on going. But then again, I think that there is the other side of the coin. Mm-hmm. Where that is strong, you know. Yeah. We want it to go on. We made it. Mm-hmm. To this day, and I said it in the last episode, we're here today and we're going to be here tomorrow because we have that drive. Mm-hmm. Somehow we have that drive. Even if we have these very, very difficult days that we don't want to get up, we don't want to do anything mm-hmm. because we tend to be depressed. Uh, let's remember that strength that we had when we were little Yeah, that brought us here today. Thank you for sharing that. And I, you know, I think it's, so apparent when we can so vividly picture that experience that we had where we survived. Um, And I know not everybody has the same level of memories and some memories are suppressed. And so if you're listening to this and you know, you're like, I actually can't remember that much about what happened. Mm -hmm. I think that's okay too. Um, 
But I do think it's it's okay to honor that space, that little you that survived and that tried. Um, you know, it doesn't take away from this feeling of, you know, why did this happen so many times? But I almost want to put it side by side and say that, you know, we are so, so complex as human beings um, and we also need to honor that survival. And, you know, you know, you bring up kind of an interesting point of not realizing. I think about kind of a personal story. Um, but when I was in college, I decided to get a tattoo. Um, I was so excited. I literally got it the first week of college. Um, I was like, this is my rebellious moment. I'm going to do this. I'm free now. I'm free. I even did it um, with money that was sent from a, a family member. And then my mom was like, what? But the the point of sharing this is I actually have a butterfly on my hip and it's pink. And I love the color pink. Um, butterflies are very transformative. But something that's really interesting about this is I had the word survivor written over the top. And I put it on my body. But at that time, I didn't believe it. Like, mm -hmm. I didn't realize that I was a survivor. I was just enacting what other people told me to enact. It wasn't until I started to kind of look at and think about the situation and how I survived. Mm -hmm. How I survived. That word of the survivor. meaning of it. Yeah. That's when I really um, started to embrace the word on my body. And, right. you know, I think that's not unsimilar un to other people's experiences. You may not have a tattoo that says survivor, but our body, it holds that survivorship. Mm -hmm. um, and so it holds the pain and it holds the trauma, but it also holds the healing and it holds the survival and that yeah. all goes together. You can't have either or, you really have it all together. Yeah, both. And, and, and would it be fair to say that to have that balance, to use those parts of uh, our gifts, mm -hmm. um, I think like with everything else, we have to put the work on it. Mm -hmm. I've been saying that. I mean, I want to feel happy, if not all the time, most of the time. Mm -hmm. Even, you know, at the beginning when I decided I'm going to feel happy again, I said, okay, I'm going to work on this. And hell did I work on it. Mm -hmm. So it is, you know, our survivorship, our feelings of um, uh, the strength that we have to put on to take on each day. And uh, knowing that if you put work onto helping yourself, you can really get to a good place. Mm -hmm. It will not be perfect. Nothing is perfect. Nothing is perfect. Nobody's life is perfect, whether you're a survivor or not. Nothing is perfect. Give me a person that says that her life or his life is perfect. Um, mm, I'm glad for them if they believe it. But uh, this world is not perfect. And I don't want perfect. I think perfect... I mean, isn't authentic is... it's not feeling we want to be able to feel and I think as survivors sometimes we have lost that ability or we've lost the ability to name it and so I you know I think it's good that it's not perfect yeah. I would like to say though to survivors listening that it's unfair it's unfair that we have to do all of this work mm -hmm. and these people who harmed us are off living their lives and so there is when you're first kind of getting into that space of healing there's this space of why me? Like, why yes. do I have to do this? This is unfair. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's leveled. Like there is so much that gets added to you when you're a survivor and it, you carry it everywhere you go. Um, and so I just want to honor that space first and foremost. And, you know, if you find it hard to, you know, seek out that support or you find it hard to find that happy, that's okay too, because it's hard. It's yeah, really it hard. hard. It is yeah. hard. And, and you said something that I've always said, it's unfair. Mm -hmm. And again, like, perfect there is no fair life yeah. i mean we are handed everything we need to learn how to balance it and it's not easy either mm -hmm. it's not easy to balance all this especially when you have so much trauma 
Um, but we can get there. Mm -hmm. We can get there. The unfairness, the why me, and the I don't want to learn anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be strong anymore. It's something that's always was on my mind. Even now, I'm sure it comes up here and there again. Mm -hmm. um, but live and learn and take one day at a time, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's okay to take days where you feel like crap and you're not working that hard on. You're just being a person because being a person in our world is hard. Being a person who is a survivor in our world is very hard. Yep. So in your experience... For us survivors, what do you think we can do to be less uh, obvious, to yeah. be more normal with codes on it? Yeah. Um, well, first and foremost, I don't think the burden is ours to do that. I think the burden is on society to really engage with perpetrators or people who could be perpetrators because um, I think about this space where, you know, healing, like we said, being a survivor is hard. You shouldn't have to then monitor all of your behaviors or how you engage. Mm -hmm. um, I think less of it is about changing your behavior and changing your actions. Um, and more is about just continually um, finding your worth. Like going into the space of healing, I think the more that you explore what you need, because often abuse teaches us that we aren't allowed to need or our needs aren't valid. Um, so the more time that you spend really figuring that out, you'll be able to then really engage with people who meet those needs and people who are healing for you. And um, when there are people in your life that aren't healing or are harmful, learning how to set those boundaries that honor, again, your needs, that space of you being a person um, who is worthy of healing. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a big piece of it. Um, my advice in terms of getting into that is, um, first and foremost, you don't have to be perfect about it. I can tell you I am still working on this and I have all of this training. I've done tons of training on trauma and I still can't always figure it out. Um, I can tell you I used to have the space of being afraid to go out and being afraid of relationships and the way that mm -hmm. I engage with others because it's like, could this be the next person that's going to harm me? Mm -hmm. You know, I, does this person interpret my trauma? Do they know that it's hard? I, do they know that I freeze sometimes? Um, and so I think part of that is I've had to let go of that fear um, and I, that's easier said than done. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? Like, oh, yeah. you know, and some of that fear is so automatic in our system mm -hmm. that you're not going to let go of it. It's mm -hmm. just going to happen. But I think a lot of it is working towards that space of like, you know what? I'm going to learn all of these skills about boundaries, about caring for myself in a hope that, you know, I'm going to continue to honor myself and just fill my world with people who care about me and people who are going to support me. And that doesn't mean something bad couldn't happen because we don't control the world around us, but it does mean no longer living in fear. Because a life in fear is a very hard life. Um, and it takes a lot of work, but it's really important that we're able to get to a place where we can kind of see the world and engage with the world without always having to hide. Yeah. No, a life in fear is just terrible, terrible. And it's so hard to get rid of it. I remember when I was a teen, I didn't want to go to sleep, ever. Mm -hmm. Because I was so afraid all the time. Mm -hmm. It was like nighttime. Mm -mm, something's going to happen. I don't want to sleep. I tried everything I could uh, to not go to sleep. I didn't do drugs or anything like that. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but no, I was afraid of going to sleep. Um, mm -hmm. You mentioned that uh, the burden of uh, being a target or being perceived as a target is not necessarily on us. Mm -hmm. It's on society. But you know, as we all do, that society doesn't really have our back. 
it's uh, failed us so many times. We keep fighting to to be noticed, to be heard, to be understood. We have to have our word out. We want uh, healthcare to pay attention to the people mm -hmm. that have red flags on them already. Mm -hmm. But if they can't even pay attention to the red flags that uh, mass shooters mm -hmm. have out there, how can we expect anything in terms of being protected or having the support from society or or the healthcare or anything like that? Yeah, I think that's a really um, important and also equally challenging question. It's a question that I have been thinking about a lot. Um, I think you know me and you know that I really, systems frustrate me. Systems are harmful. Um, often they're not set up to support survivors or the people that care about them. Um, and yet we live in a world full of systems and we have to live in that world. We're not going to live in a world where those don't exist anytime mm -hmm. soon. Um, but I've been really thinking about the ways in which we can kind of not individualize that. So if we make it our problem that the systems don't work or the systems are harmful um, and we make it something that we feel like we have to change our behaviors or the way that we enact our mm -hmm. lives, um, you're kind of giving into that pressure of the system that is harmful. Um, and so what I would suggest instead is, and not instead, you know, it's, it's valid that you have that experience, but I would suggest that you spend some time really exploring the things that are important to you, the things that you need, your values. Um, Something that I think about in terms of these harmful systems, they're not about our joy. They're not about the ways that we engage with each other, with survivors and community. Um, and so a big piece of this is instead of focusing on what can I change about myself, I would really say, what can I, what do I like about my life or what do I want from my life? Um, you know, it's taking that, that burden off of us and really putting it into the space that it's about what we want out of life. It's about what we deserve out of life. Um, I will always be in this space where I suggest that we do not have to take on the burden of our trauma because we are not our trauma. Um, we will have the lived experience of trauma, but it's not our it's not our fault that the trauma happened. And not so if you think about that, um, we don't have to change who we are. We just have to become more of who we are, you know, more of what we enjoy, more of the connections that we have in life. Um, that's how I think we get to this place where um, we are not feeling as if we have that target on our head and people aren't interpreting whatever that target could be because we are living our lives to the fullest. We are connecting with others. We are respecting ourselves. We are engaging in ways that really honor who we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's complicated, though. It's not it so complicated. Yeah, it's not simple at all. You know, as you were saying these things about uh, change our behaviors or don't change them or act um, the, way, the way we want to live. I was thinking about uh, when my daughter was a teenager and she would go out with her friends and and. Uh, even now, when I see teenagers, very young teens or preteens out there wearing clothes that uh, are very revealing, you know, this this comes to my mind. And then the Me Too movement's pictures, those famous pictures of this girl naked with, you know, I can wear whatever I want or nothing. Mm -hmm. um, I am all for that. Do whatever you want. 
But for me, it's about protecting ourselves too. I think we are free to wear anything we want. We should. But don't we know also that there are people, sick people, that are looking to harm others? Maybe they don't even know that that's what the result is going to be, but they want to do what they want to do. And a young girl, I feel like a young girl wearing very revealing clothes is more of a target than one that is not. That's what I felt when, you know, I saw my daughter going out and and even when I was going out when I was young and I was, you know, a pretty little thing wearing clothes, it was like somebody always uh, had a long hand that would slap here and there. It was horrible. Yeah, and perfectly unacceptable. Perfectly unacceptable. Wrong. Totally wrong. Um, I don't think we should change our behavior because there are sick people that because there are there are people that will treat us as targets i think that's wrong and it's freaking unfair but i still think it happens don't you so i'm going to challenge a lot of this and i hope that's okay with you of course um i think that what you are doing what you're explaining where you know you think about your daughter or you Mm -hmm. think about yourself um you are internalizing the victim-blaming culture that we live in. Right. So you are bringing it in and saying, this is the culture. Now, I think that would be fine if that was actually the culture that we live in. But what we know about perpetrators and people who abuse others, it's not about clothing. You know, it is not about how someone looks or how someone presents. Um, I was actually part of a project when I was in college where we posted up pictures of what people were wearing when they were assaulted. You know what mostly people were wearing? sweatpants or yoga pants or not the revealing outfits. And maybe there were some that were revealing, but what we found was that they were all across the board and a lot of them weren't the stereotypical view of provocative. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's a big piece. I also think about when we're talking about survivors, what could a child wear that would entice someone Mm-hmm. Right? That, that Absolutely doesn't exist. Nothing. No, right? it doesn't nothing. exist. And I right. think that for adults too, I think what that comes down to is instead of us being able to be autonomous humans in that space, we are having to live in that fear state that I was talking about where mm-hmm. we are afraid of what we're going to wear. But the sad thing is you could do everything perfectly. You could wear all of the right clothes and you could engage in the right ways and you could make sure that no trauma shows mm-hmm. no matter what. And you could still be assaulted. And you could still be a victim of one of these people. Yes. And so that's the big piece. It's like, you know, I appreciate you asking that question because I think it's a difficult one. And I appreciate you letting me push you back, push back on it a little bit. But I really do think um, we've got to be careful not to internalize that victim blaming on ourselves and on others. And I feel like a little bit of that's what you were doing. And I, I don't blame you because that is the society we live in. Yes, and, and, and I completely understand that. I totally understand that. It's the victim blaming that others do and the one the one uh, subject that we just discussed earlier today. And that is just wrong, completely wrong. But obviously that is not what I'm trying to do here. Mm-hmm. Definitely not, because we never invited these things to happen to us. No way in the world we would ever, ever want to be assaulted, touched without consent. Mm-hmm. It's... it's something we don't want so Mm -hmm. i would never blame anyone Mm -hmm. for that 
what I am trying to say is that again, you know, it's it's an unfair, unfair world, right? I did not know about this study of yours <laughs> about you know people are assaulted no matter what they're wearing, mm -hmm. but I did know that because of my own experience, no matter what, you don't invite this. What can a child, mm -hmm. a seven-year-old, a twelve-year-old, be wearing that can be so uh, provocative yeah. to a predator? Nothing. Yeah, it's the okay? fact Nothing. that they want to abuse someone. Is the fact that they're sick. They're monsters. But again, I, I, it's just, I maybe, maybe, and I'm not trying to justify. I'm not trying to justify. I just, I've said it so many times, I'm a 100% mom. And I, I just want to protect kids. Also because of our experience, I just want to protect them. It's like, mm -hmm. don't, please, don't go out like this. It you comes know? from such a good place of really not wanting anyone to have to have the experience that we had because it was terrible. Right. No child, no person deserves that. Um, but I think we have to think about what actually prevents sexual violence and it's not changing what people wear. It's not, um, even really changing how people go out. Um, what prevents sexual violence? It's changing the predators, right? Changing right. our system so that we call these things out, changing it. Like, you know, um, we're going to talk at some point about my organization cultivating consent, um, but it's creating environments where everybody knows how to talk about consent. Um, because if you think about it, a lot of people never have that conversation or they don't mm -hmm. have it until they're in high school and they think it's all about sex, but it's about everything. Consent is every part of our lives and how we engage with other people. Um, and so it's things like making sure that we all have those skills. It's things like making sure parents know how to look for the signs of grooming. And if you're not familiar with the term grooming, um, it essentially is this process where a predator or harmful person uses different tactics and skills to try to win over a family or a child. Usually mm -hmm. it's everybody involved. Um, and they often seem like the friendly person and they seem like... The fun person. Yeah, and the helpful person. And, mm -hmm. um, and it's hard to see because we have a lot of those people in our life who are perfectly harmless. But those people use these skills, you know, innately or they built them. I don't know. Um, but they use these skills to gain access and then to cause harm. And so it's really talking about that so parents understand it. So there are just so many ways that we can talk about preventing sexual violence. And I think the big takeaway for me is always survivors don't, don't know that burden. You know, our society, mm -hmm. we owe that. Like, and I say we, the big we, like mm -hmm. all of us have to talk about this. Yes. Um, whether you've experienced it or not, sexual violence is a problem in our society and it has a huge impact. Yeah. And you see uh, it, this, this discussion that we just had, we learn something every day. Yeah. You see, the more we talk about this, the more we learn and the more we can help others, the more we can uh, be free from these stereotypes as yeah. well. Yeah, and I think something that's really important is to give yourself compassion um, because where you were coming from was a mother not wanting a child to be harmed. And that comes from a really good place. And where you were coming from was a society where we've been taught, particularly if you identify as a woman, um, you've been taught that you have to protect yourself. That is your role. That is your responsibility. Um, but we, what we know is you could do everything you can to protect yourself and you could still be harmed. And so mm -hmm. um, it sounds like you are continuing to grow and engage. And in that way, your daughter gets to continue to grow and engage. And we all do when we have these conversations. We all do. Yeah. We all do. And I am so grateful for all your input 
for all your words, for your friendship, of course. Uh-huh, yeah, you know, I, I feel like you're another daughter of mine. Because again, <laughs> I'm a mom all the way. Yeah. <laughs> that mama bear energy. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's been great. I think we're at the top of the half an hour. <laughs> and uh, you are. it would be great to have you here again. And we mm-hmm. can choose different topics. I am so impressed with everything that you do. Thank you. Your words are always very helpful to everyone, mm-hmm. especially to me. You're a very uh, person that encourages me a lot. Yeah. And uh, I am sure the listeners are also grateful. But before we close up, please tell us a little bit about your organization, Cultivating Consent. Yeah. Well, first, thank you for inviting me to talk about this. I'm always happy to have these conversations it took me a lot of work to get here to be able to have these conversations. And like you said, I continually learn. And, you know, we do all of this work to kind of live the life we want to live. And we're going to continue doing it. And hopefully we can just do it together. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I started this organization with a friend um, called Cultivating Consent. And it came from this space where we were working in different areas. I worked in education. um, And I noticed that people only referenced consent from like a sexual health or a sex framework. They thought, you know, that's what you do. Consent is what you engage in when you're about to engage in sexual activity. And that's true. That's really important. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I really learned was that we actually have to talk about consent all the time. It's consent is even in the way we're having this conversation. For me to say, you know, is it okay if I challenge you? Mm -hmm. That's an example of consent. And so we came together and realized that, you know, a lot of us aren't talking about consent, and that could be a really good benefit to all different kinds of industries, all different kinds of people. Mm-hmm. And so we created this organization with the hope that, you know, maybe we can be a part of the puzzle where we're trying to change our society even just a little bit um, in how people are talking about consent. And so if you're interested, um, we do trainings for groups. We're probably going to be offering some online training soon. We have social media. Um, and again, we're cultivating consent. Let me tell you about something that happened at work some time ago. Somebody whom I know for ye- known for years came to me and said, hello, we were, you know, uh, work friends, you could say, somebody I trust, and he's super nice. And he rubbed my back, and it rubbed me in the wrong places. It brought a lot of trauma, feelings back, and it just didn't feel right. I think, uh, first, I'm sorry that that happened. I know when we talked about it um, originally, I was just flabbergasted. That shouldn't happen in a Mm -hmm. workplace. Um, But I also think it does happen. And I think, you know, not only should that person ask you, is it okay if I touch you? You know, we should even step back a little bit there and say, you know, how are we engaging in practices in the environment? So it's normal to ask those kind of questions. So you don't do something without kind of engaging in this practice where Everybody comes together and everybody has a role mm-hmm. in deciding what's best for them, particularly when it comes to your body, but everything about you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I am really sorry that happened. And exactly like you're saying, we need to have these conversations. We often don't even associate that they go in the workplace or they go in different industries. Um, and so that's why I was really excited about this organization, because it means that, you know, we get to look at industry in a different way and we really get to talk about consent and how important it is. It is so important. This mm-hmm. really, this this little episode really, really was um light bulb. Yeah. For me. Yeah. It's like yeah, I did not consent to that. Yeah. 
And then again, it brings you to boundaries and how clear can you be with your boundaries? Um, because a lot of people, when you feel very comfortable with someone, it's mm -hmm. like, you know, like I hug you every time I see you. Yeah. Right. I don't remember if I asked you, but you know, it comes from a motherly place. Yeah. So <laughs> intent and impact aren't always the same. Um, I think you may have asked me at one point. Um, but yeah, I mean, and it's not, we think it's simple. We think consent is yes and no, and that's it. But consent mm -hmm. changes based on your relationship, how much you know the person, how long you've known the person or people. Um, and so, yeah, that's why we have to have these conversations because, you know, it's a skill. Using yeah. consent is actually a skill as well as hearing other people's consent and non-consent. That yes. is a skill. Yes, definitely. It's I'm smiling because at the same time as you're saying this, I'm remembering another person at work mm -hmm. who was telling me about someone that came and gave her a hug. You know, a hug like the hug I give you. And she was like in shock that she mm -hmm. was, was like, I know this person, but I didn't say you can hug me. Yeah. And then she told me about, about another person that came to her and, and said, Hey, can I give you a hug? And she said, no, I don't know you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know you enough. And it's like, it's really about us. Mm -hmm. What do we, what do we want? What do we want to happen? Do we consent to a kiss, to a hug, to a touch? Um, is it okay to do it? Mm -hmm. Right. And even beyond that, you know, do you consent to have this conversation? Do you consent to, you know, we're going to go walk this place together or do this thing together? So it's even beyond just the physical mm -hmm. of kind of engaging. But you're right. You know, we often don't talk about it. And it's very empowering when you start to think about an organization or an environment where we respect consent. Mm -hmm. Like that is an organization that has the ability to be more effective but also to have deeper relationships and connections within that organization. Mm -hmm. um, so I definitely recommend we all do consent training. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually going to suggest it to my company as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Reach out to us. You know, yeah. um, we have our website, we have social media, and we are really excited to have these conversations. Um, Wonderful. I'm yeah. so happy that you're doing, of course, a huge part of everything to help with awareness of uh, consent in all the things that this involves again my dear thank you so much for being here i appreciate all your time all your input and i will be seeing you around very soon yeah thank you for having me thank you listeners we'll be talking to you again soon bye-bye <laughs>